Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Beyond the Album Cover with Jarrell Mason, where we get inside the entertainment industry with those in the know and give them their flowers while they're here to be celebrated. With me right now, I have a man, if you know 90s R&B music like me and anything that came out of, boom, this, Biv 10 Records, Boys to Men, ABC, BBD, MC Brains, Tamrock, Sudden Impact, the whole nine yards and also production work for good to go various other artists and if you look at the one for all video he's the man on the keys abc shouted him out at the beginning of the track and if you listen to the simping remix he's the one mike bivens was saying yo you know i like the way we came out of that rich and just in case you didn't know there was another super producer Rico dance track. Yes, I got the man himself, Mr. Rico Anderson. Rico, welcome to Beyond the Album Cover, sir. Thank you for having me, man. How you doing? I'm doing good. I appreciate you taking the time out to do this interview with me. Oh, no problem, man. I appreciate that. All right, let's go ahead and jump right into it. Where are you from and what was it that inspired you to get into the music business? Um, I'm from Washington, D.C., Originally, I'm from Washington, D.C. Um, and I guess what inspired me was um, I was always in the entertainment, you know, as a little kid. You know what I mean? I, I, I like Michael Jackson, like everybody else, you know, Prince. Um, and and then um, I guess as I got into like going into my teenage years, hip hop, you know, really, really started emerging. And then it was actually a... Um, you know, through videos, you you know, you start to be able to see hip hop producers, you know what I mean? And, and um, you had, you know, Molly Maul, you had Herbie Lovebug, that was out there, you know, then later on Teddy Riley came, you know, with um, with Guy, but he was also associated with other, you know, hip hop artists, you know, Eddie F was with Heavy D and the boys. Um, so it's like now I had kind of like, I was able to look and see like, oh, okay, these guys are like the kind of stuff that, you know, that I'm into. I like, you know, making beats and sounds and that type of stuff. And, you know, now I had an actual, you know, I, I had something to visually look at. I mean, cause you had, you know, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis was out there, you know, as well, you know, as far as like visual producers. But um, once hip hop really came on the scene, you started to see a lot more and that role was kind of more defined. Like when I first started, I didn't even know it was called a producer. I used to just tell people, let me be a music maker. You know what I mean? Cause I didn't even know what the, you know, the, the, that that was the actual, you know, um, term up, you know, for it. Um, and then also when, when I was younger, my dad was into, uh, you know, production as well. He, he produced gospel music. So he was actually like, like the first person to actually take me in the studio when I was a kid. And I, I felt at home there, you know what I mean? So it was, you know, I guess it was kind of like one of those things where, you know, you early on you're introduced to something and, and that just kind of maybe dictates, you know, where you your path kind of goes to. And, and I think that's what happened with me. Right, and being from D.C., the DMV, for those who don't know, D.C., Maryland, Virginia, steeped in that go-go mm -hmm. culture with Rare Essence, yes. you, Trouble Funk, all of the great go-go bands out of there and give you a little bit of a um, side note. I am originally from North Carolina and I discovered that okay. Jeff Brown 
was born in my hometown in North Carolina before he ended up moving up to DC. You, you, you know, everybody from DC's family is from North Carolina. So DC is just a smaller NC. <laughs> yeah, I agree because we had a lot no. of students from um, DC. Oh, a lot of my family is from, a lot of my family is from Charlotte as well. Okay, cool. 704 Queen City, Chocolate City, that good connection. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we got a little bit of that go-go swing because we had a lot of students from the DMV area go to school down south. So they would bring a lot of the go-go mixtapes. And then, of course, once EU broke nationally with the butt, that was when everybody mm -hmm. outside the DMV got exposed to go-go. So how did go-go mm -hmm. have an influence on your production, if any? Now, now growing up, that was, you know what was around you. Like, that's what you saw outside. That's what you heard outside. That's what the, the beat that was being banged on the desk at school, you know what I mean? Or, you know, this, 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 that, and other. That's what, you know, people was doing in the lunchroom, man. So that's what was in the air, you know, growing up here. Um, and then later, hip hop came, you know what I'm saying? But Gogo was, I, I mean, as a, you know, actually I grew up in, in um, in, in Southeast and um, Potomac Gardens, and Trouble Funk used to um, practice like right there in the um, you know like the the, uh, the parking lot or the you know like the uh, the wreck uh, place or whatever. So as a kid outside on the tricycle, I'm watching them practice. You know what I mean? So it it was just a natural thing. Like it was it was all it, was, it just felt like it was always there. You know what I mean? So um, when I started getting into music production, I actually was making like go-go type song, go-go kind of beats and stuff like that in my early, early, you know, formative years of, of production, just experimenting, trying different stuff, trying different things. I would remake, you know, different songs that go-go bands did just to, you know, see how they did what they did. And then I was doing the same thing with R&B records and with hip hop records. You know what I mean? So um, I think that, you know, you know, from the early, from my very early beginnings, I think that that had like a, it was a, a definitely a major, major influence, you know, on me. Because even with like the records that were coming out, I was studying those musicians the same way that, you know, the other musicians that were on, you know, uh, top 40 record albums, you know what I mean? So I had the same level of respect for these drummers and keyboard players and, you know, guys that played the synthesizers and this, 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 that, and the other that I have for, you know, people that were making, um, you know, more mainstream music. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mentioned earlier that EU had broken nationally with the butt on Spike Lee's school days, but also Herbie yeah. Lovebug Azar, he took some of the go-go swing and put it in the early Salt and Pepper records, like Shake Your Thing, Express Yourself, and then Clark mm -hmm. Kent, he put that go-go sound in the Spread My Wings remix for Truth. Right, yeah. So, I mean, it's been around, and then you, mean, you figured when Grace Jones did Slave to the Rhythm, that was EU you know, that was playing behind it, you know, on that song. So, you know, the early Curtis Blow records, um, you know, I, if I rule the world, you know, that sample uh, go up, you know what I mean? Uh, I believe Trouble Funk did a sample, you know what I mean? So, and then they actually, you know, made songs together in those, you know, those early years. So I'm a, 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 a 
total product of the combination of all of that happening at the same time. Right. And then also during this time, we got to mention BT was headquartered in DC. You got the Mecca, yeah. HU right there. And then of course, Georgetown and everything that the late John Thompson was doing in the 80s, yeah. early to mid 90s yeah. with those teams. It was like DC still is. The now, hold on, of- wait a minute. Hold on. Hold on. You can't forget Marion Berry. He was the man around here at that time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You the know? former mayor, mayor so, Marion Berry. So DC yeah. always been the epicenter yeah. of. Black culture and being in its true unfiltrated self. So, what was it like growing up in DC when all of that is just going on? It was great, man. You know what I mean? Like it was, it was a, it was a, a you know, the the city always had some kind of a pulse to it. You know what I mean? It wasn't as fast paced as like a New York, but at the same time, it it really wasn't. You know, like super slow like if you really went down south at the time you know what I mean like we were on top of all of the trends as a matter of fact we set a lot of trends that a lot of people follow you know what I mean so um and you know and and so it was it was it was a it was it was a real exciting time you know what I mean and you know growing up in DC at, at that particular time you know what I mean um even before you know, like everything, when you know, like the, the, the crack epidemic came in and the city got really, really crazy. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, it was still a real, you know, it was real, you know, family oriented, you know what I mean? Community oriented, you know, it was, you know, families that lived on different blocks and you know what I mean? So everywhere you went, you kind of knew somebody that knew somebody, you know what I mean? It was, it was kind of one of those types of things, you know what I mean? And it definitely was Chocolate City at that time, you know what I mean? Like everywhere you went, you know? So it was, it was a certain level of pride that existed, you know, amongst everybody that was here. Mm, so for to get your hip hop fixed back before it became available everywhere, did you have to tune in like for specialty shows yeah. on yeah, this, Kid, this, this, KYS my, and PGC? No, no, no. This was even before that. This was before that. The very first hip hop outlet, I do believe, that the DMV had was on WOL. It was an AM station and they were on uh, 8th Street in um, Northeast. Uh, same, uh, you know, where, uh, uh, uh PD Green was at, mm-hmm. you know, it was, the, it was the same, um, radio station, you know what I mean? So if you ever saw that movie, Talk to Me with Don Cheadle, yeah. that, that whole thing, that was about the startup of WOL, that particular station, which, which later, um, Kathy Hughes married the guy that, you know, started, uh, that, and then it became, you know, she owns Radio One. You know what I mean? So that's where your KYSs and all that stuff come from down the line. But WOL was actually an AM station. And it started off, at first it was a a dude, I believe, by the name of JJ Starr was the DJ. And then it was a guy by the name of Conan, who later went on to be the uh, big radio personality um, on Baltimore radio. But Conan was, I believe, I mean, Conan is from D.C., and he, he started out on WOL and he would do um, like a hip hop. It was like like a one hour, two hour show. And then they would play, you know, different hip hop music. And then some of the, uh, you know, uh, 
you know, artists or groups that was making tapes or songs or whatever, you could send your stuff in and, you know, they would play it. And then even the rappers from the city, you know, would call in and it would be a battle. You know what I mean? So they would battle each other. You call in and, you know, they battle on the radio and then everybody call in and vote and say, you know, who was the best and this, 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 that, and the other. So that was the very early, early stages of hip hop when it hit D.C. You know what I mean? So because it was a very, very, very small community. It wasn't immediately accepted. You know what I mean? So um, it took a minute to really grow in in this particular area you know as far as people that were actually interested in doing it mm. and it was very interesting to hear the differences and how the hip-hop shows in dc was different from what was going on up in new york or philadelphia or whatever other region you were in because it was still mm -hmm. where hip-hop was underground and if you had your own specialty show you had to do something different to make it stand out because i believe there was an am station out of baltimore i think webb with DJ Jeffrey mm -hmm. C. And man, his cuts, his mixes were crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I mean, like I said, they had a variety of, you know, different shows that were, you know, coming from different places. And, you know, and that's how a lot of us got that exposure early on. And then, you know, it, it, it turned into, you know, your MTV raps coming on and then it turned into, uh, you know, the box, you know, come in where you could order whatever you, you know, wanted to see right then and there. And then, you know, uh, would be T's Rap City coming into play, you know. And so gradually it, it you know, did that evolution, you know, kind of unfolded. Mm -hmm. And then also during during the mid 80s as well, you had Stacey Lattisaw blowing up, doing mm -hmm. her thing. And then DC native Johnny Gill, who was originally a solo artist signed to Cotillion, but then later ended up linking up with New Edition, which leads me to my question. Mm -hmm. How did you end up hooking up with Mr. Michael Bivens? Okay, interesting story. Um, I was actually, the night that I met Mike, I met Mike at like about 3.30 in the morning at, a, at an IHOP restaurant. And how that ended up happening was earlier that night, I had a meeting with um, a guy that had an independent label that had an artist that he wanted me to do some work with. So we had gone past one of the you know, local studios to kind of check it out and you know, talk with the people, I guess, about the rates, you know, how much time we was gonna need in order you know, to work on our project. So we ended up leaving there which was right around the corner from where I lived at at the time. I mean, like literally less than five minutes away. Somehow we ended up driving almost across the other side of town. And then we decided, all right, let's get something to eat. So we pull up at this hour. Uh, so we go in and we in there. And uh, I had my back kind of like to where the, you know, the front door was. So. Uh, a gentleman that I was one of the you know, people that I was with, they saw um, Mike's assistant when he came in because they you know, knew who he was. And, they, and then they saw Mike walk in directly behind him. You know, so he's like, yo, that was Mike Bibbs. Kind of turn around and look. Wow, yeah, okay, that's him. So at that time, I had a friend in high school that was like, he was a super, super new edition fan, right? Like he 
had the Bobby Brown Gumby the like the works. You know what I'm saying? So like, I'm thinking like, I right, let me at least try to call the dude to tell him, you know, that he's up here if he want to come get an autograph or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, this is your shot. You know what I mean? So I went to the payphone to go use the payphone to call my friend, but I remember earlier that week my uncle had called me and said to me that he had seen on BT. He was like, yeah, you know, the guy with New Edition was on there and he said that he got a company and he looking for people and he looking for people to make music. He was like, I, I wrote the address down. And, you know, you can send your tape to him, you know, this, that, and that. So I took the address, but, you know, I'm thinking like back then they used to, you know, tell you, don't, you know, don't send your tape in. People to steal your music. This, you know, so I, it was like one in out the other, you know, make like, like when he said it. So now I'm at the pay phone. So I'm at the phone and my man is not picking up. Like I said, it's like 3 30, 4 o'clock in the morning. So all of a sudden I hear somebody behind me, like, yo, you gonna be long? So I'm like, I turn around, it's Mike. So I'm like, nah. So when I hang the phone up, I um he gets ready to get on the phone and I'm like, yo, wasn't you on TV saying that, you know, like you was looking for people? And he's like, yeah, what you do? I said, I made music. He said, you any good? I said, yeah. He's like, you got a tape? I said, yeah. He said, let me finish my food. And um, you got a car somewhere to listen? I said, yeah, I got a you know, truck is right outside. He's like, yeah, let me finish my food. I listen to it. I'm like, okay, okay. So I go back to the table, go get the key to the truck so I could, you know, go get my uh, tape queued up and everything. And, you know, sure enough, once he finished, he came outside, you know, and I'm like, yo, I'm right here. Came and sat in the car. And I started playing him, you know, you know, different uh, tracks and stuff that I had been working on at that particular time. You know, so, you know, he kind of bopped into it, this, is that, and the other. And I'm like, yo, you think you could work, you know, might be able to work with that. He said, yo, I think I might be able to work with you. And I'm like, all right. You know, so he was like, yo, I know people are funny about their tapes and giving people their tapes and whatever. He said, but he said, I got to go back to Boston. He was going to go on a triple threat tour with BBD. And he was like, I'm going to be there till Monday. He's like, so give me a call like by Sunday night. He said, so he said, this is the number to my mom's house. He's like, I'm going to give you this. He's like, but let me live with your tape. He's like, I want to, you know, just vibe with it. So I'm like, all right. You know what I mean? So he, he gave me the number. So I, you know, I took it, you know, I gave him the tape. You know, so you know, of course, when I got home, I called the number back. <laughs> and uh his mom did pick up, you know, she was, you know, like sleep, like, oh, Michael's not here. But I'm like, I I'm phone up. Right. But so I did end up hooking up with him before that Sunday and we talked. And, you know, we just, you know, we just kind of, you know, just feeling each other vibing, you know what I mean? And at the time I remember. It was right when Mama Said Knock You Out had dropped. And, you know, we was talking about that album and it was like the same ones I was saying was my favorite. He was like, oh, I like that. That's my favorite joint. Yeah, you know, I like that joint too. It's just, you know, so we was kind of, you know, feeling each other out because see that, you know, we kind of like the same stuff. And then from there, it was, a, um, you know, he would, he, he would call and just be like, yo, if you had to remix this record, what would you do? So I would say, well, you know, like give me give me a day or two, and then you know I, I you know call me, I let you hear something. 
So then we did that, you know, like a few times he would, you know, do that. And then he would call and he would say like, yo, you know, what if you had crossed this record with this record with a little bit of that record? How you think that would sound? You know, and then I would, I right, give me, you know, a day, give me, you know, two days. And then he called back, I let him hear what was going on. And then it was like, all right, cool. So we did that for a couple of weeks, you know what I'm saying? And then um, this one day out of the blue, I'm sitting at home and he called me. He was like, yo, man, you, uh, you want to come out to L.A.? You know, um, we, we finishing up ABC's album. And um, I think we could, you know, use one of the tracks that you got on your the tape you let me hear. So I was like, yeah, <laughs> you know, of course. And um, so that's, I, I, I ended up going there and that ended up, me, you know, being uh, the first song, you know, that I ended up doing was uh, with another bad creation. The song ABC, the song uh, Cooling in the Playground album. Man, that is crazy. You had the tape already ready to shoot your shot. And who knew that a Rudy Tootie Fresh and Fruity would be extra rewarding? <laughs> About that. I ain't even eat nothing that night. I was, you know, like once I, you know, was, I was thinking about the music in the tape at that point. But it was, it was just funny because I was already, I was, I had all that stuff with me because I was already out talking with some people about doing something else. You know what I mean? So it was just crazy how all of that, you know, and the thing was, he wasn't even supposed to be in DC. What happened is it was a snowstorm that happened in Boston that they couldn't, well, they had like bad weather or something and they wasn't landing no planes. So he ended up getting, you know, stuck in DC for like a day or two extra. And that's why he was even there. Wow. See how everything lined up all, you know, symmetry and everything. Now, yeah. by the time you hooked up with, with uh, Mike, was Boys to Men mm -hmm. already in the picture at this point or was this right around the same? Yeah, when, I, when, when, when we met, he told me about Boys to Men. And he told me about ABC. He told me, you know, the groups that he had. You know, when we were sitting in the car listening to the music, he was like, yo, I got, I got this little kid, you know, I got these little dudes, you know what I'm saying? ABC, and then I got these other cats from Philly boys, the men, you know, and he's kind of telling them, like, all right, okay, you know, I'm listening, you know. But I, you know, that's the first, you know, I had never heard of any of them before, and, you know, at, at that point. And they, because, you know, none of their music was out, you know, at that time. Everybody, they were still working on their album. But I believe Boys to Men's album was completed first, even though ABC album ended up coming out first. Wow, that's crazy. ABC, I believe they were managed or discovered by Kevin Wales out in Atlanta. Yeah. Yeah, K. Wells. Yeah, you know he's the guy that gave me the name of Super Producer. Oh, I didn't know that. That's what we do at Beyond the Album Cover. Tell us about that. Yeah, yeah. It, I I didn't come up with that. <laughs> you know what I mean? We was uh when we was recording Gucci Gucci La La La, that voice that you hear talking. Yo yo, that's Kevin. Wow, I never knew. So that. He, he was in the studio that day, and um and we was like, yo, get on the front of the record. And that's when he starts it off. Yo, yo, there's another hoochie coochie joint. And then, you know, I say, yo, brains, kick the first breath. That's me saying that part. And then at the end, he comes in. And when he says, uh, uh, such and such and such, it's a super producer. And that's the first time I ever heard it when he said it right then and there on the record. And then everybody just started saying it on the records after that. Right, man. And how did you end up coming about doing the title track on the 
East Coast Family compilation with feature everybody from ABC, Boyz II Men, Hayden, Cole, Sutton Impact, Big Ant, Sh Sh Yvette, future actress Yvette Nicole Brown from Community. Uh, yeah, how about that? <laughs> yeah, who who knew? And it was funny to see the new edition miniseries and how she played Mike's mom and how it right. all yeah, came back full yeah, circle. It, yeah, that was full circle there. Yeah, she did a great job. She did a great job. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, it was. I I can't. I know that we were working on a Biv Ten compilation out, and that's you know because I was working with Tamrock. Uh, I was working with Lady V. She was working on something. I was working with. Um, uh, you know, all of the different acts that were, you know, on or part of the label at that time. And then, um, you know, we were kind of figuring out how we were going to comprise it. And then it was a thing of, well, we need to, you know, do a joint with where everybody is, you know, together. And I remember what I remembered about making that record. We actually made that record in, um, like the Baltimore area, it's called Sheffield, Sheffield Studios in Sheffield, Maryland. And they actually, the funny part is, right, that same studio, they had like a, a mobile recording thing. So they would go record live shows and they were the ones who actually recorded GoGo Live years ago, which was like the biggest GoGo concert in DC. So, but this was the actual physical studio um, in Sheffield, Maryland. And we had some, for some reason, we had to come here because I believe Boys to Men was, had just started going out on the road with uh, MC Hammer on the MC Hammer tours. I think it was MC Hammer, Boys to Men, and Jodeci were, you know, the tour at the time. So they had gone out. And um, so, and then I believe, you know, ABC was doing a lot at that time too. So it was kind of like we had to kind of catch where we would, you know, like where their schedule was at and, you know, where somewhere where we could get everybody to. And, you know, um, and luckily everybody was, you know, East Coast, you know what I mean? So it wasn't, you know, that, uh, you know, uh, you know, it wasn't like we was, you know, trying to bring a, a whole lot of people from the West Coast, you know, to the East Coast. You know, some people was able to, you know, drive, you know what I mean? Some folks was able to, you know, you know, fly in and, you know what I mean? Because so it wasn't that, it wasn't as as difficult. So, um, and I remember we got, you know, everybody got there. And I remember when the wild part about it was, I remember when we got to the studio, um, my MPC drum machine traveling from LA, somehow it got, the screen got smashed. So like, it was like, you know, how ink blocks looks, mm -hmm. you know, on a, a computer screen. So, you know, so imagine trying to, you know, make a, a song <laughs> and you can barely see this, you know, the screen. And luckily it was a gentleman from, um, his name escapes me. I, I apologize for that, but he was with the group Midnight Star. And I think he was um, one of the, you know, like the producer that was, you know, a part of that group. Mm. And he had an MPC and he let me use it. 
And uh, so I was able to use his and I was able to get the, the actual track done. And while I was working on the track, you know, little by little, everybody was writing some kind of a part, you know what I mean, for it. So it just kind of, you know, kind of just came together, you know, like that, you know what I mean? Like, and, you know, once we got the track down, I remember we got everybody in, that scene you see for the actual album cover, that's from the recording session with all of us, all of us together in the picture. Mm-hmm. That's from the actual, you know, when we recorded the vocal of everybody, all one for all, all for one, all, and we had everybody in the booth together, you know, not even in the booth, it was, a, you know, like a, a, you know, like a choir room, you know what I mean? And um, we took, that photo op, and, and yeah, that was another thing that you know we were taking the pictures for the album while we were making the you know the song at the same time. So everybody, when they got there, they had to go shopping and make sure that you know they had something, you know, they had themselves together. Because along with recording the song, we were shooting the pictures for you know the uh, the album. Wow, man, that is crazy. Now for the video, was it also kind of done sort of within that same time frame? Since like you mentioned earlier, ABC and Boys to Men were out on the road at this point. Yeah, that we did in Houston. That was my very first time going to Houston and it was extremely, extremely hot, I remember. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we ended up going to Houston and they found like, it was like, some like kind of like warehouse area, you know, that was kind of like abandoned or whatever. And that's, you know, where you see the piano set up and all of us, you know, kind of in there, whatever, doing stuff. And um, and we pretty much got out there, you know, was 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 out there like from early, early in the morning, pretty much, you know, once the sun came up, you know, like all day until uh, you know, like I think pretty much the nighttime. Because at nighttime, I think the scene where you see is, you know, where it seems like we all at this long table, you mm-hmm. know, doing the one for all, all for one, that was done once it got dark outside and, you know, cause you didn't really need, you know, any light for that, you know? So, um, so yeah, yeah, we, but it was all, it was all done in pretty much a day, you know, when we shot that video. Wow. So was Mike supposed to be in the video, but couldn't because, you know, everything was going on with BBD and couldn't make it to the shoot? No, he was there. He was the director. Him and Lionel Martin directed the video. He was, you know, he had been in all the videos. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He had been <laughs> He had done that. You know what I mean? He had already been in, you know, this was, you know, he was in Motown Philly. He was in Aisha. You know, um, he made a, a brief little uh, 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 spot in a Simpin, I believe. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? But you know, he was like, yo, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, moving into a different position. So, you know, I'm gonna play this role. So he was, he was in the, the him and Lionel Martin, I believe, directed the video together. So he was there the whole, you know, through the whole thing. Right. And you can catch my throwback interview with Lionel Martin, AKA the big kid on Beyond the Album Cover and mm-hmm. also on YouTube. And also on YouTube, you can catch my throwback interview with Aaron Kane, formerly of Sudden Impact and White Guys. And I felt like with them and Hayden, I was like, man, they were about to blow. Because if you look at Sudden Impact, they were like a very much heavy R&B version of New Kids on the Block from the Tidewater area mm-hmm. of VA. Shout out to everybody in the 757. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, they was repping Virginia Beach. You know what I mean? Like before, I think anybody even came out of there. You know what I mean? Like, um, yeah, I remember you know going down there, uh, you know, to, to you know kind of vibe with them or whatever. And um, you know, they 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 were you know very very well known and you know pretty big you know in their area. You know what I mean for you know what they were doing at that time. So yeah, they definitely a part of that. Even though you know they they didn't um, necessarily you know become household names, you know, but I, I believe the people in that community you know probably remembers them and appreciates them or should you know what I mean because they were definitely repping um, for Virginia, Virginia Beach, that whole area, you know, way before all of the other representatives that later came, you know what I mean. So mm-hmm. right. So you mentioned you had to cut on ABC's album Coon at the Playground. Did you have any interactions any with uh, Dallas Austin? You know, I met Dallas. Um, by the time I came in, he had already done, you know, all of the stuff that he was doing. So my song is like the last song on the album because it really was like the last song done. That and the song Spider-Man, which uh, Dr. Freeze and Spider-Man and also the great Howie T, he helped, uh, you know, produce that as well. He was there for the session and he helped me too. He actually helped me make my first record getting through the song ABC, you know what I mean? Like that was the very first time that I had, you know, been in a you know, major studio, this, 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 that, and the other. And Howie was really like a cool OG. He kind of, you know, he saw that I didn't know, you know, this or didn't know that, whatever. So he like, yo, come in, let me show you this, you know, yeah, okay, you know, I got my computer here. Let me help you with this, you know, let's do that. So, he, you know, he was, I mean, Freeze did too, but Howie really spent, you know, quite a bit of time with me, you know, just kind of showing me, what it was, you know, that I needed to be doing and even, you know, certain equipment, like, yo, you need to get you this, you need to do that, you know. So, yeah, he put me on point, you know, when we, uh, when we were doing that. But um, as far as with Dallas, me and Dallas met each other. We stayed at the same hotel. And um, we would see each other in passing because his room was, his balcony was, like, right on the front of the hotel. So I would be coming in and he would be up there. Yo, yo, yo. hey, yo, what's up? Yo, yo, come up, you know, holler at me. I, I, I'll be up there. So we would keep, you know, kind of missing it. And then one day it was like, I'm coming right up. You know what I mean? And I ended up going up there. And the funny part was we ended up kicking it for like, we talked and talked and, and it was, until the next day came. Just about music and equipment and production and you know what I mean? Like, I did the same thing when um, me and Devontae Swing, when we met each other, like, you know, producers, especially at, like back then, like all of us kind of were like the same in a certain way. We, you know, we all had like the same interest that, and it was certain things that everybody didn't know about. You know what I mean? So we was kind of like, you know, we could kind of speak a, a different language to each other. In, in talking about music, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Or even, you know, studying, you know, certain different artists or whatever, you know, um, you know, all of us were, you know, huge fans of Prince, you know what I mean? So just, you know, going through, you know, all of his productions and, you know, this is another. So, you know, a lot of times, um, you know, you could, you, we, like I said, when you got around those kind of people, you know, we could go on and on, you know, for hours just talking and talking about music, whatever. And that's kind of like my first interaction with him was like that. 
Right. Great minds think alike. You mentioned uh, Devontae from Jodeci and how mm -hmm. when you listen to a lot of his productions, you can hear easily the church influence because, you know, his family very well known in the church circles. Look up on YouTube, mm -hmm. Reverend Donald the Great, mm -hmm. Beulah Land. And then, of course, with Casey and Jojo coming from a church background as well, the Haley Singers. And, you know, everybody mm -hmm. in their family can blow. You can hear a lot of the core structures, the projections, the melodies has a gospel ting to it. And then when they ended up studying under I'll Be Sure and Kyle West, which you could catch my interview with Kyle West as well on Beyond the Album Cover, that by the time Forever My Lady was to drop, they, they were ready. And Devontae is a beast, self-contained, right? Produced, composed, arranged. You could definitely tell he studied. People throw that word genius around. People throw that word around, genius, lightly. He's one of them. I can't. I can't. He's say one no of them. I can't say no more. Devontae, a bad. He's boy. one of them. Yeah, he's one of them. Mm -hmm. And then, they get that label to a lot of people, but he's one of them for real. Right. And the one thing yeah. that I was thinking about, you know, with me being a young boy at the time, six, seven years old, around 91, 92, that ABC, White Hot, Aisha, Playground, and then coming on after that. Crisscross comes out with Jump and becomes a massive pop hit. I was like, how come ABC and Crisscross never toured together? Both are from Atlanta and both are white hot. I don't know. <laughs> that part, I don't know. I think it was some talk about that at one point. I really think there was some conversation about it, but I don't really know, you know, what, what really, you know, what, what transpired as far as why that didn't go down. Because you would have thought that would have been, the, you know, that should have been the first screen tour. Yeah, that <laughs> would have been I mean? a, a no-brainer. Like I said, both acts from Atlanta. There was also right around the time when everything out of Atlanta was starting to pop with them, and then everything that was coming out of the face, and then later on mm -hmm. with the Dungeon Family, Outcast, Goody Mob, Slim Cutter, Calhoun, and everybody else that came after that. Mm -hmm. Yep, that first wave yeah. of Atlanta. So, how did the Simple yeah. Remix come about? Oh, the Simple Remix. Um... What's interesting is that was kind of like a uh, a bittersweet uh, thing I remember with that. I remember I, re I went to Philly to record it um, in Philadelphia, and I remember when uh when we were laying when I was laying the actual track down, you know, all of a sudden the door opened up, and this older gentleman kind of walked in. He looked familiar, and then he, he said. Hey man, you know, uh, I like you know I like what you guys are doing. I'm over here in the room. I kind of heard you speakers, man. I like what you guys are doing. You know, so I looked at him, I'm like, okay, thank you. And then uh, and then when he got closer, I looked and he's like, Oh, I'm sorry, man. I, I'm Grover Washington. I said, man, I know who you are. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like, I know who you are, man. You know, it's a pleasure to meet you. You know, so he was in there next door while we were actually, you know, recording it. Um and I remember, uh, you know, the guys came in because this was one where they actually sang the vocals again. It wasn't where we synced up to the vocals from what was on the album. So, you know, they came in and, you know, you know, they're a, a joy to work with in a sense because they, you know, are just so always, you know, so well prepared. And then, 
they're the types that, you know, even if they give you a killer performance, you know, hey, I can give you another one, you know, this, 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 I know, you know, so it was always, you know, very, very easy, you know, kind of like, you know, working with them, you know, and they, and they, they work well with one another, you know, so, um, so the thing with that is we went and did that remix, I think, and, um, and like a day, you know, what I mean, went up there, went up to Philly for like a day, and then, um, uh, the thing that happened though is I remember coming back from Philly. Well, I had a, a like a flight on like one of these little planes, you know, and um, because it was just you know like a forty-five minute flight because it was going into BWI, Philly BWI. And I remember when I got to the airport, you know, I used to travel with, you know, like all of my luggage and then I had like a whole nother plane ticket. It was just for all of the additional pieces of equipment that I used to have with me because I had like a, a whole mobile studio almost. And that's where, I, you know, that's before, you know, all the laptops and, you know, like I had, you know, keyboards, like three, four keyboards, you know, a whole rack system and all types of stuff like that traveling around. And what happened is, it was a bag that I had had all of my, my disks and my hard drives in. And I remember, you know, when I was going to get on the uh, plane, it was like, no, you can't have, you know, you got, you got to, you know, check one of those bags. You can't get, you know, can't whatever, something to that nature. And so I ended up taking that bag and putting it in one of my, you know, bigger um, duffel bags or something like that. And by the time I got back to DC, um, got home, you know, and it was like maybe a day or so later when I went to go set everything up, you know, I'm going through this, you know, set everything up. And the wild part, man, every, my, all of the discs of all of the sounds, the songs, the everything, even the remix I had just did, it was gone. Man, crazy. And a little, I had a little, like a little small drum machine in the bag as well. So the, like every disc, every sound, every, every, everything, every, you know, idea I was, you know, all of that's gone. Man. And this was back in the days when producers were very particular about their sounds because you can listen to, hey, oh, yeah. he's using my drums. Hey, he's using this or using that. And you really had to find ways to stand out from the next person that was producing the record. Yeah, like it was, you know, it was almost like a cardinal sin to use stock drum sounds or, you know, certain stock stuff. Like you had to, you know, everybody would take, certain stuff like even though we were all pulling from let's say the same break beats or whatever or you know to get our sounds from or uh drum sounds or you know and at the time you know certain keyboards may have been you know the more popular or whatever but the object was to kind of you know put your little twist or your little spin to it or find certain you know uh signature patches that you use that would be you know, your thing or whatever that, you know, that it could kind of identify whatever, this, you know, you were doing to kind of, you know, uh, create a difference between you and, you know, everybody else that was out there. And then at a certain point, it just became that, you know, everybody just, whatever came in the box, that's what everybody used, you know what I mean? Including down to the actual sequences in, you know, that came with the, uh, you know, the keyboards and the programs and stuff like that. So, you know, it, it's, it's like, you know, like 
over the over the years, the the let's just say the the booze or the unwritten booze, you know, have been altered and changed and you know moved. Mm-hmm. You know, so did but, you use the Insonic at this point? The Insonic keyboard where you had the floppy. Yeah, that was my. Yeah, that was my very first um, um, quote unquote big boy board. I had the uh, EPS sixteen plus. A lot of people use that, what you hear, they call it ASR. So this was like the prototype before they came up with the ASR. That's crazy. And also a little bit of tech stuff for those who don't know about the mm-hmm. MPC. Back when sampling was still in its infancy and the sampling rate time was very, very minimal. So what producers mm-hmm. used to do, they'll used to speed up the record to maybe 45 or whatever to where you can trick the machine to give you longer or or we used to you know take a get a high speed tape deck double and then take the record it on that and then play it high speed and sample it off the tape high speed and then play it back in a lower pitch you know so it would slow down you know what i mean so you could you know get it to where you needed to you know manipulate it at well, I never so knew was about a that of a little trick, but was it all trial and error when you were trying to figure out ways to make lemons out of lemonade, so to speak? Yeah, that that was everybody's, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, that was, you know, you figured this, I mean, you figured like samplers had been around for a long time, but you figured they were very, very expensive when they came out. You know, you're talking about when they had like the Fairlight systems, Synclavius systems, these was like, you know, $100,000 systems, you know what I mean? It, it, in the early 80s, they were costing that much, you know what I mean? So um, so a lot of, you know, you figure, I think Marley Marr, his first sampler came off of like a echo pedal, you know what I mean? That was like one of the features is that it could sample for, you know, a second or whatever. And then they started, um, you know, making different devices that, you know, would have, you know, one second sampler, two second samplers. And then, you know, um, they ended up coming out with the, uh, the SB12 first, you know, which was like the first kind of, um, you know, quote unquote, sampling hip hop drum machine. And then the one that really became the, the centerpiece was the SB1200, you know, because they actually put a, a floppy a disk drive on it. The one before it didn't have a disk drive. You have to go get an external floppy to, you know, back your stuff up to or whatever. So, and then the MPC came after, you know, the craze of the um, the SP1200. So that was like really for the longest time, pretty much all throughout the 90s and going, you know, into really heavy into the 2000s. I mean, people still using MPCs now, you know what I mean? For uh, you know, they are, you know, even with these, you know, digital programs and stuff like that, controllers and all of that. So, you know, that, that they were always, you know, major. And then um, also the uh, the rack mount samplers too were, were very important, you know what I mean? Because the, uh, the, the, you figured that for hip hop, you know, a lot of producers first starting out were using the Akai S900 and then the 950, which, you know, was like the first one that stretched the sample. You know what I mean? Jay-Z made a, 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 a line about that on Reasonable Doubt, I believe, or, or one of his oldest songs. And he was like, you know, he would, you know, stretch his pack like the sample in a 950. 
You know what I mean? So a lot of people didn't catch that, but you know, producers they knew about that, they caught that line. Yeah, so it's crazy to hear about how a lot of these classic records were made when the technology was limited because hearing stories about Marley Maul and Teddy Riley, how they had the home studio set up and I don't have yeah. this or shaker, so I would put a toilet tissue roll in the mic and yeah. make noises and really be creative or use my shower as the vocal booth or I've read it. That was everybody's vocal booth. Everybody had a vocal booth in the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, because I, mean? I read in an interview like great acoustics. Yeah, I read an interview uh, with Main Dupree. He took the closet door off his closet and was using the closet as his vocal booth when he was uh, having the yeah. Whole even your closet, even most people, most most of us use if we were you know a lot of us coming out of bedrooms and you know home studios. You know, it's either your your your, your bedroom, your closet in your bedroom was either your booth or you ran the mic out into the hallway into the bathroom you know what i mean and you know that was your uh your uh your vocal booth so how did you all yeah. end up dead in the sound so that you guys wouldn't get a lot of background noise since you had the home studio set up you would take uh you would take blankets you would take blankets and put the blankets over the, the actual shower you know what i mean that would dampen it some and then you could take if you had like a towel rack on the back of your door you could hang, you know, heavier stuff there that would, you know, kind of deaden the sound too, you know. So wow. you could do that. Um, if you had like a rug, like a little, uh, you know, look like, so you know, like a square, you know, a little area rug, you know, put that up under your mic, you know what I mean, just to give it, you know, so you wouldn't get, you know, some of that, uh, you know, rumble of feedback. So it's, it's all kinds of little, you know, like everybody had their little tricks of the trade, you know, of, of, of you know what you were trying to do but then the thing about it was that's what made the sound was the imperfection you know because you couldn't go you could go to the best studio out there but you couldn't get it to sound as dirty as how marley mars records were sounding or you know how you know so that all of those coming from those backgrounds and making those records, you know, in those elements it, is what gave it the, the character that, that it had. Mm -hmm. It gave it that bite because if you listen to Poison, I mean, it had bite. It was a pretty much a hip hop album production wise with R&B mm -hmm. sprinkled in. And that was because they did a lot of work on that album with the Bomb Squad who did Public Enemy. Mm -hmm. Ice Cube's yeah. um, debut solo album, so it had that yeah. that grit. Yeah, and they were and they were the masters at that. You know, the Bomb Squad, Hank Shockley, Keith Shockley, uh, you know, Eric Sadler. You know that their whole crew. Um, you know, they, they were they were masters. You know, at at noise. You know, they were masters at noise. Masters at Noise. Now, by the time the Simpin' Remix came out, did the pop mm -hmm. audience catch a hold to Boyz Men, or was it still at this point where they're a big success on the R&B side of things and they just hadn't broken it? Well, well, that was right. That was like leading right up to End of the Road, because End of the Road is is on the Biv Ten East Coast Family album. It was on the Boomerang soundtrack, and that. 
soundtrack or, or you know that particular album as well so it was on both of those albums so kind of like i want to say uh end of the road we really took it to you know super super pop you know like out of his status you know with them um but they were already you know they were they were i mean at the time you figure it was you know them and joe to see with the, the two premier, you know, the newer acts, the newer R&B acts that were, you know, that were coming up. And, um, well, actually, no, um, how do I say goodbye? That's what, you know, I think was really, really, uh, you know, it's so hard to say goodbye. That's what was really, you know, started to, you know, get them, you know, in the, in, in the serious, you know, pop direction. Right. It's so yeah. hard to say goodbye to yesterday, which was originally done by yeah. GC Cameron, formerly of the Spinners, for the Cooley uh-huh. High soundtrack and the Cooley High Harmony album was an homage to Cooley High. Now, I got the original pressing of the Cooley High mm-hmm. Harmony CD that dropped in 91, but in 93, uh-huh. they did the reissue with it was the red and blue cover with, with them with the Sixes hats on. That was where they had yeah. End of the Road in the Still of the Night, and I think that was when Pop like you said, caught on and it just took them to superstar status from there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it really started, it started with the, uh, it's so hard to say goodbye. And then end of the road is what really, really, you know, like did it, you know what I mean? And it, it's funny because um, cause I, re- I was, I remember when we were at, uh, when the demo came in for, it was Babyface singing on the tape. And it was one of those things where, you know, we all just kind of, you know, it was myself, Mike, and the rest of the boys, the men we were all at Mike's house. He's like, yo, Eddie Murphy got this movie coming out, Babyface doing the music, he sent a song over for you guys, check it out. And I'm like, okay, you know, everybody listened to it. It's like, yo, what you think? Yeah, it's cool, it's dope, you know. But at that time, it's like listening to it, nobody, was gonna say at that time, oh yeah, it's gonna break Elvis's record and this is gonna do this and it's gonna be on the chart these many weeks and it's gonna be that was nowhere, you know, remotely in in the air. You know what I'm saying? We just knew, okay, yeah, it's a good song. You know what I mean? Babyface, you know, set up, you know, it's a good song. And um and when they did it, you know what I mean, and once it came out, you know, it just took on a life, you know, like like all to itself. You know. Mm, you can still sing it to this day. Now, I don't know if you know this, but I'm going to share this. But um, right mm-hmm. when Boys to Men was getting ready to record the two album, Tim and Bob had some songs for the two album for Boys to Men. But Gerald Busby uh-huh. told them, I want more established producers on the sophomore album because they're already blown up pop-wise at this point. So Tim and Bob ended right. up making those songs that were originally for Boys to Men ended up putting them on 112's debut. Oh, okay. Yeah, like okay. now that we're done, can I touch? Because if you listen to them, they sound directly yeah. like voice right. records. Right, 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 right. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, they, those guys make great music. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, it, it, even if it didn't work with Boys Man, it was going to work with somebody. You know, so you know, it, it worked with One Twelve. You know, so that's you know, that's great, great for their you know situation. Right. So how did you end up linking up with Good To Go? You can catch my throwback interview with Natalie Fernie, and they were mm-hmm. managed by Hiram Hicks, who also managed BBD. 
well, there you go. That's how it was. <laughs> you know, I managed to be deep. You know, and it's like everybody was always around, you know. So it's like it was a thing where, you know, Freeze had done a track for ABC, you know, and Freeze was managed by Hiram. You know what I mean? Spider-Man and Freeze were managed by Hiram. So, you know, at the time I managed, you know, by Bim Entertainment, and this is one of his acts, you know, so it was kind of one of those, you know, okay, we want to, your, your people do one of mine, you know, my guy do one of yours, you know, and that's pretty much kind of like, I think, you know, like how it, 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 it came about. And then it was a good opportunity with them being five girls. And then we had, you know, at the time, you know, the white guys, you know, which later became Sudden Impact, five guys, you know, five white, you know, they, it was the perfect match, you know what I mean? So it's like, all right, well, yeah, let's put this together and see what happens. Mm, yeah, good to go. Dope group, never satisfied. Dope mm -hmm. record. And you can also catch Throwback Interview that I've done with uh, Kevin Thorne from Color Me Bad, Jeremy Jordan, Joy Marshall from Jade, and also former head of Giant Records, Cassandra Mills. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you could get the full giant story. Now, being from the DMV area, did you have any early interactions before Drew Hill came out to the public? Uh, no, not like that. I had I'm I met Drew Hill when I actually met them at Island Records in the office because I had a I had a group myself, an army group myself that I was um, shopping, you know, there at Island. And they um, they were, you know, interested in signing us. And it was a situation where um, kind of like these, they were interested in Drew Hill also. Mm -hmm. And the person that was bringing us in, the person that was bringing Drew Hill and had a little bit more seniority in the company. So they went with that situation, you know what I mean? But we met them, uh, well, I remember meeting them there, you know, at Island, you know, right before. As a matter of fact, here's another situation where I was there when the song came in, that they were sitting in the room listening to the, the Tell Me uh, demo for from the, the movie Eddie soundtrack. But Dave Hollister was, on there singing it. He was singing the demo to the song. Originally, I, I don't know if it was originally for him, but he was on the tape and they were listening to it as, hey, you know, here's something that you know you all could, you know, go in the studio and work on, you know, because like I said, I don't, I don't, at that time, they, I don't think they had even started recording like any of the songs that ended up going on their first album yet. Man, that is so crazy. And um I believe mm -hmm. about a little over a year or so ago, Stanley Brown had posted a video on social media playing the reference for Tell Me, and it was of Aaron Hall singing Tell Me. I believe, and he also, and I think David, like I said, David Hoster also did a reference for Tell Me as well, but it's crazy. It's possible. Yeah. It's, 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 it's very possible. It's very possible, but I definitely know that that was Dave on, um, on that particular record because, I mean, I was I, like, I already knew Dave. You know what I mean? So I knew his voice. You know what I mean? I I knew it when and I knew him when I heard it. You know what I mean? That that was him. Mm. So um, is Ruffins from Baltimore? Do you know? I believe so. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. 
Yeah, I thought Rough Ends, very dope, No More, Someone to Love You. And then also right around the mm -hmm. same time as Boys to Men was out, we have Shy. All of them went to Howard University, of course, If I Ever Fall in Love, mm -hmm. Comforter. And it seems like Howard just has a knack for cultivating from musicians, politicians, shout out to VP Kamala Harris, athletes. Mm -hmm. So what is it about that university that just cultivates leaders and future movers and shakers, you think? Well, I mean, it's one of the, I guess, more historic, I think it's not, it's not the first, but it's one of the first ones, I believe. Um, and, you know, it's, it, just, it just has a very, very rich, very, very rich history. I mean, you only named a handful of people and you didn't even throw Puff in it. <laughs> you know what I mean? So. You know, but before that, you know, you got to look at, you know, Debbie Allen and, you know, uh, Felicia Shard, you know, they were there, you know, I mean, so many, so many different people, I believe, of uh, uh, Roberta Flack, you know, uh, you know, went to school there, you know what I mean? So you got a lot of, you know, people that, that, that studied there, but then this is what you also got to take into account. Um, well, I guess maybe not for the college, but, but before the music, uh, influence of it because everybody that went there wasn't a music person. But um, DC in general, as far as you know, uh, you know, urban black culture and, and you know, music and all of that. Yeah, remember this is the home of Duke Ellington. Duke Ellington, pretty much, if you run the clock back on black music, you know what I mean, like. He's pretty much, you know, it ain't too far back you could go kind of like before him and you figure all of the giants of music that we, you know, looked at and have revered for years. He's the guy that they all, you know, admire. You know, so um, you have remnants of all of that here, you know what I mean? You know, you have Duke Ellison, you know, School of the Arts is here, you know, and that's just was, you know, kind of like buzzing in the air, you know, in DC. And that's why you you have, you know, with, with, you know, so many of, you know, just musicians and young musicians that, you know, it's like generation after generation, it's like a breeding ground, you know, like for that, you know, and for, um, you know, really, really talented artists, you know, just coming out of the city. So. I think that when people that come from other places, you know, when they get here, whatever they got and they mix with, you know, people that's here and, you know, the culture of what's going on here, you know, it only creates, you know, a, a, a better, you know, situation. You know, I think it, it, it takes, it, it actually, you know, may help or, you know, take them to uh, another level per se, you know. Right. And, the late Donnie Hathaway, the late Chadwick Boseman. We can go down the there list of go. all the yeah, great alums that were Bisons at Howard. And we mentioned Diddy mm -hmm. and how mm -hmm. he was going back and forth via Amtrak from New York to DC to go be under the late Andre Harrell at Uptown. And how mm -hmm. when he had Biggie signed to Uptown, he had him perform at HU's Homecoming doing Party and BS, mm -hmm. which was on the mm -hmm. Who's the Man soundtrack. And then we all know the yep. story once he got fired from Uptown, started Bad Boy. But Howard had that 
distinct stamp to say, hey, we're one of the first venues that the greatest rapper of all time performed at before anybody really knew who he was. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? And then, you know, and then not even just that. I mean, you know, from that area in Howard, you know, a couple blocks away from the school, that's where Chucky Thompson lived. You know, that's where he grew up. You know what I mean? So we ended up being, you know, one of the main, you know, production forces for Bad Boy. You know, he's the guy that produced Big Papa, I think one of the big, biggest records. You know what I mean? So, you know, he's from here, you know what I mean? And and, and he's from that area. Wow, I never knew that. And Tricky Thompson, look at any prime Bad Boy album credit when you see his name, Stevie J, Mario Winans, mm-hmm. D-Dot, Easy Mo B, Harv Pierre, Jack Knight. He's with that crew. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, like I said, and, and he was, you know, you know, he, he, a lot of the records that he did, I mean, you figured the, the My Life album for Mary, you know, that's primarily him. You know, like doing his thing. I mean, it's other producers that's you know on it, but a lot of that stuff, you know, is 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 him doing his thing. You know what I mean? And and he actually, you know, um, you know, he's from. He played in go-go bands. He played with Chuck Brown. He played with a lot of the you know different bands and stuff like that. So, what people don't realize is is, is but if you talk to him, he'll let you know. Um, a lot of those records. You know that even though they were big hip hop records, it was him putting, you know, certain go-go influences or mimicking certain go-go musicians the way that they played or the way that this drummer may swing when he played. You know, he programmed his beat to kind of emulate that. You know what I mean? So, and I did, I did the same thing. When you listen one for all, all for one, you can hear all of that. You know, percussion stuff that's going on. That was my go-go influence. You know, coming out you know, in in the music, you know, in, in the hip hop and R&B music, as well as another guy, um, Chink Santana, you know, that ended up uh, producing for Murder, Inc. He's from here, you know, and he was a drummer for the Junkyard Band. So when you listen to Ashanti, you know, um, uh, the, 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 the joint, um, Okay, the name of it escapes me right now, but it's the one where you know it's got like the outstanding beat with the you know the Congos in it. Oh, that happy, happy, exactly. Yeah, that you can hear the influence of it. So you know all of the guys, you know Rich Harrison, same thing. I was he's about to ask about him as well. He's from his, here. His you know what I mean? He's from here. Crazy. He played in go-go bands. He's played in go-go bands, and then you can hear all of his music that you get that influence, you know what I'm saying? From you know, the Beyonce record to the A. Marie record. He just did that record on, um, I believe, Tiffany Haddish, the uh, Drop It Low record that's, you know, that got the uh, global influence into it. So I think pretty much, I mean, you know, that's, you know, you could go from from Biv 10 to Bad Boy to Murder, Inc. to, you know, to all of those whatevers. One of us that came from this was in there. Mm-hmm. And then also right around early 2000s, we have from Be More, Mario on the scene, blowing right. up, doing his thing, put Just a Friend 2000, Let Me Love You, pinned by Neo, big pop hit, mm-hmm. and also Maya. And it seems like it's just a lot of talent coming out of the DMV area. Must be something either in the mumbo sauce or the Maryland blue. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's a, like I said, you're at ground zero of Duke Ellington. This is where he comes from. So all I'm just saying is just that, you know, you have certain places, you know, that, uh, that are just known for, you know, they're great, you know, musicians or great artists that, you know, come out of certain whatever's because, it's, you know, it's just been a historic kind of thing. And I think that, you know, as far as musicians go, you know what I'm saying? Um, you know, that's what DC has always, you know, been known is, is for having, you know, very, very sharp, you know, proficient musicians, mm. you know, which later ended up a lot of us turning into producers or DJs or, you know, and then later on, you know, with, uh, you know, uh, Wale, you know, coming in with, you know, rapping and, you know, and other ones that, you know, have mm. come out. Right, and now I forgot you know, to mention, me to you. The group Me To You signed yeah. up, RCA. Uh, I believe Stacey Lattisaw's brother was in that group. Yeah. And then, you know, you can't forget the king, man, Marvin Gaye. You know, he's ran away. Of course. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So so that's what I'm just saying. If you look at that, right, you mm -hmm. take Duke Ellington, you take a Marvin Gaye, you figure the, the prototype for every R&B male singer from Marvin Gaye to now comes from Marvin Gaye. Mm, man, it's a great lineage. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, and like I said, he, he's from around here, even though, you know, Motown is where he actually, you know, was able to get his break and everything, but, you know, he's from here, you know, originally. Right, so how did you end up getting on the Three Stripes album for BBD? And that was a big album for them because that was their first album as BBD since I believe the 2001 record with Breezy, The Hottish, and I believe in a joint called In My Crib. Right. Uh, that was Mike once again. Um, Mike called me and, and it's wild because it, that song kind of went through uh, you know, like a few different phases. It originally was supposed to be for New Edition. Originally, we were supposed to be doing it for New Edition. Um, you know, kind of anticipating a, another, you know, reunion type record. And um, so we had worked on it. Well, no, and initially, um, two other producers, uh, uh, Carvin and Ivan, they had, had done a track, I think, for another artist years ago. And, you know, they were playing some stuff for Mike one day. He heard it and just kind of like, yo, I like that. You know, so he had this track from them that he'd had for like a couple years himself. So one day he's like, yo, I'm going to send you something. I want you to check it out and, you know, tell me what you would do with it. You know what I mean? So, you know, I'm like, here we go. We back. <laughs> to you know years ago so i'm like okay you know so he sends it to me and you know i checked it out and i liked it automatically and i was like okay but i i'm you know i feel like i would you know do this 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 that or the other to it you know he's like oh just do your thing you know so pretty much that's what it was you know what i'm saying started with you know kind of like it was just a sample and it was like a beat over the top of it but you know and I think he, he may mention, you know, like, he's like, you know, you know, this is like a, because it's a, 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 a old Gamble and Huff uh, sample, you know what I mean? So he's like, yo, you know, they gotta have that, you know, that, 
that that step was feel to it. You know what I mean? We, you know, like the OJs was rocking to it. You know what I mean? Or you know, like or you know, uh, anticipating for you know new edition. You know what I mean? So listening to it with that kind of perspective in mind, so it was like, okay, cool. So I just went in, and, you know, and just kind of you know did my thing to it, and I let him hear it, and he liked it, and then he let Carvin and Ivan hear since you know they were the original guys that you know came up with the, the sample and it started you know originally working the beat but they like what I added to it and you know what I've done to it so it was kind of like it was just kind of just like I right, was just kind of sitting around you know what I mean and then like I said we were supposed to go for no audition and then you know something happened with that and it, it didn't go through and then when BBD was working on just three stripes um project it was like hey let's try to you know let's use you know that song and then maybe let's see if you know boys the men will be interested you know because now it's a situation where it's three of them you know it's three bbd you know what i mean the history that goes together with it it's like hey you know what i mean this is not a hard you know combination to put together you know what i mean so uh so it was sent to them and you know and they liked it and, uh, and, you know, they wanted to do it. So um, we ended up, you know, I, I believe that, you know, they have the residency in Vegas. So we ended up going to Vegas. And um, there's a recording studio in one of the casinos. It's really, really nice studio. So we went in and, and, um, and just one night, you know, just knocked it out. You know, they came and knocked it out. And, uh, and you know, what you hear, you know, that's the, the, the finished result of it. Man, that is so crazy. Now, when producing for BBD, do you have to keep in mind, like, far as for production, choreo first, since because of them being in New Edition, they think, how's this song going to translate on stage when we do a routine? You saying for BBD? Um, for, for BBD, is it primarily like a choreographed first mindset when you're doing a production, knowing that, okay, nah, I got to figure BBD, out a with, with BBD, like a lot of times, stuff that you, that I made or one of the other producers made, made a beat for a rapper, turns out being the beat that they want. You know what I'm saying? So it's not even like you was... The thing that you may have made for them, anticipating, okay, they're gonna be dancing, they're gonna be doing this, they're gonna be that. That might be the one that they like, ah, you know what I mean? Because it's, it's almost kind of cliche to them, but something else, they put a whole nother spin on it, and they they put a choreo, you know, choreography to this type of beat, to this type of, you know what I mean, whatever, and then make it kind of like their thing. So, I I've just, you know, kind of, I know my experience with working with them. You know, like most of the stuff started out being for something else. And then it, you know, then it ended up being, you know, for them. Right. So when you said that an original production was done years ago by a production team and then you come and rework it now when paperwork is filled out, is it where still the original producers get credit or does the new producer yeah, get the yeah, credit? Yeah, 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 yeah. Because without them, I wouldn't have had nothing to start from. You know what I mean? So, you know, and, you know, that's, I mean, pretty much that's, you know, like how it worked out. You know what I mean? So all of us, you know, shared in the credit and, you know, and shared in, you know, everything that, that came from uh, that particular song. Right. 
And industry tip one-on-one for those of you that are starting out, I'm gonna tell you a little secret. Keep your publishing, keep your publishing, keep your publishing, keep your publishing. Don't trade it in for <laughs> upfront money, keep it. Cause if right. you, you may be like Mariah Carey whenever that Christmas song plays every year, if you write a good song. Yeah, well, the, the thing is, is that, you know, in all fairness, you know, today, you know, there's so much information that's out, you know what I mean? They, they, you know, internet from YouTube and then just from people's life's experiences and they're actually around to tell other people you know and, and, and kind of pass that along you know what I mean so um so you know it's it's, it's definitely a thing you know you want to encourage the artists you know to make sure you know to, to, to you know definitely you know keep your publishing you know keep your masters you know if you're an artist and you know you're in a position to be able to do that um, you know, because and, and, and the reasons why for that, you know what I'm saying? Because, you know, I think a lot of times is that, you know, like I think a lot of us, when we got in early on or whatever, so much like all of us, we were more interested in music. You know what I'm saying? I, I don't I don't really remember running across any producers or artists or whatever that was really, really just you know, all about, okay, I, you know, I got my paperwork and, I, and nobody, I mean, it, it literally was one of those things where like somebody from the label does that, you know what I mean? Like, because everybody was concentrated in, in putting all of their energy and their effort into creating a great product. That's why you look at the music that comes from that time period. It's a great time period for music, you know what I mean? Because that was the primary focus of, of what everybody was putting in. And then it became, I think, one of the most lucrative times in music as well because of that, though, because of all of that energy, you know, that effort and everything that was put in. And then with that, you know, you had, you know, some real bad, you know, stories that came from that, you know, for, for, for different people, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, um, so nowadays it's, it's just, it's great. They even have a platform like this with you here. You know, you were saying what you're saying, and I'm backing up what you're saying. Like, yeah, you know, that's, you know, you, these are the things that you want to hold on. If this was Monopoly, you know, this is Boardwalk and Park Place, publishing and masters. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? This is what you want to hold on to with your day, you know, to their life, you know, because this is what, this is what gets you beyond the moment. You know what I mean? This is that having that part is what will take care of you, you know, through the duration of your life. And then it becomes what your legacy is and you leave on, you know, to your children and, and your family, you know, even after you're not here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause I was reading online recently that Anita Baker was telling the fans don't yeah, I just saw that. listen I saw that. I just to saw that. their music on the streaming services. Because if you look at some of these streaming services and their rates per stream, it is low. And I think that the copyright laws need to be reworked to reflect streaming and so that artists can be fairly compensated for their records. Well, you got to look at it in a situation like this for artists like her. Her contract probably didn't even have anything in it regarding streaming. So the fact that they came up with a whole new revenue, they're like, oh, well, we didn't agree to pay you, you know what I mean? That could be the position, you know, that is being taken, you know, by whomever she's dealing with or whatever label is, you know, that's a, a situation that uh, 
that a lot of artists that may have had older contracts is that some of when this newer technology has come in, you know, I think that was the same thing that De La Soul was kind of going through. Like when they signed their deal, you With know, Tommy there was Bush. nothing in it. That, yeah, it was nothing in there that mentioned that they had, you know, that they were to receive anything, any revenue from a streaming, whatever. So now that the label or, you know, technology has created this, you know, the label's uh, you know, perspective is, well, you know, we're not obligated to pay you from this particular medium. You know what I'm saying? So it's a real, it's a real, you know, uh, you know, real, you know, sticky situation with, with that type of stuff like that. You know what I'm saying? But you will hope that, that, you know, parties could come to, you know, some type of, you know, uh, amicable terms, you know, something that, you know, that, that, that works for everybody. You know what I'm saying? Because it took both parties, you know, working to create something that they could, you know, fight about later anyway. So, you know, they should both benefit from it anyway. Right. It's definitely about ownership and doing it yourself. Because if you think about the battle that Prince had with Warner Brothers, when mm -hmm. he had his dispute, when he went to the unpronounceable symbol scrawl slave on his face and was really saying hey mm -hmm. these labels and the contracts are not really set up in the artist's favor initially unless you prove to them i can sell and then maybe after your initial contract you could be able to renegotiate on your own terms but he was doing it himself back in the mid 90s with mpg.com emancipation and was saying do it yourself own your stuff mm -hmm. well yeah i mean because you know, I think in his case, it was a situation where you figured, okay, his first, you know, album, maybe the second album, you know, he used, you know, the label's budget. But by the time he got to, you know, I think maybe his third album, you know, he was recording in his home studio. And he's like, well, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm using, you know, I'm, you know, basically funding this, you know, it's, you know, my studio, my equipment, my this, 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 that, and the other. So it's kind of like, you know, I think he was in a position of feeling like, you know, okay, well, this is the, you know, you, you can pay back the loan, but you know what I mean? You're not getting any ownership for anything, you know, for the loan, you know what I mean? So, um, you know, that's why, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's just very imperative and, and, and you know, thanks for, you know, artists like Prince and, you know, I mean, even as far back, you know, people don't remember, you know, uh, Ray Charles has set the, you know, the bar, you know, you know, how you need to be doing it, um, you know, kind of, you know, for black artists initially, you know, but like I said, at that time, you know, that kind of information just wasn't floating around readily. You know what I mean? Especially, you figure they were, you know, Prince coming in in, in the late 70s and, the, you know, in the early 80s. Even a lot of us, you know, when we got in the game in the 90s, it's a lot of stuff that a lot of us didn't find out until after it had already happened. You know what I mean? Or after, you know, certain things, you know, um, had already transpired. So, you know, um, some people were able to, you know, you kind of dust itself off and pick up and keep going. And, and, you know, for some people it was, you know, uh, you know, a career altering situation, you know what I mean? So, but nowadays it is so readily available. Any, you know, anywhere you go, you, you, 
you got so much, you know, um, you know, information of what to do. And not only do you have the information, but you actually have the outlet to do it. You know what I mean? Because even when people were saying certain things, you know, uh, back in the day, whatever, years ago, okay, somebody may say, well, this is what you want to do. You want to do, you know, only masters be independent, but you may not have no idea of even how to go about getting in that independent network or who you need to meet or who you got to talk. You know what I mean? It was so many steps of all of that type of stuff, whereas now it's just all here, you know, right, you know, right there at the computer. You know what I mean? The information is there and the outlet to use the information is there. Right, because when you look at on the hip hop side, what E Forty, Too Short, Master P was able yeah, they to was do. killing it from the gate. Yeah, they were killing it from the beginning. You know what I mean? Doing it that way, but and and the thing was is that even though they were killing it, they weren't as popular at the time. Like they they're known like, and they're legendary now and people we all like them but it wasn't as if they were the flagship artists at those particular times. You know what I mean? The major labels had the major artists. So anybody that was an artist was looking at it like ah you know I wanna you know it looks like he's doing better. You know, so when, even though what he's saying yeah, that sounds okay, but this is what this looks like the result that I'm trying to get. You know what I mean? Is is that kind of result? You know, right? Because there was some artists. Because I thought like around 0506 when Houston mm-hmm. got on the stage nationally with Slim Thug, Mike Jones, Paul Wall. Yeah. I thought that finally Houston was going to break because we thought that was going to happen once Ghetto Boys exploded because Rap-A-Lot was doing that thing prior to. Shout out to Jay Prince, one of the seven, one of the pillars of Southern hip hop yeah. and how mm-hmm. once that kind of faded after still tipping and everything, a lot of those local rap artists in Houston were like, hey, I'm good just being regional and I can make good money just touring around my region and really be considered a regional success without the national backing. Right. Yeah. Well, they did. And a lot of the artists on the West coast was already doing that. You know what I mean? But that's, you see, the thing is they came from areas that had such big land masses that they could cover, you know, a, a huge territory with a lot of people and still never leave home. You know what I mean? So, but, you know, and it's kind of like, and in a sense of like the the South kind of like, because at at a certain point, you know, all of the attention was focused on New York or the East Coast. And then it went to the, they went to the West Coast. It's kind of like the South and they're kind of getting neglected per se. It worked to their benefit because it kind of made them create their own, you know, industry within an industry, mm-hmm. you know, and then that ended up turning around to dominate the industry. You know what I mean? So, you know, uh, yeah, you know what I mean? Like I said, it, it, you know, I think that, that, that really worked for it, you know, it worked, it ended up working in their favor. Mm-hmm. So, what was your thoughts when the new edition miniseries first dropped? Oh, uh, well, yeah, I was there. <laughs> I was at the premiere. I went there, you know, when they get their uh, their star and all that stuff like that, you know. So it it was really, really, it was uh, 
it was it was a really really wonderful movie. I think they did a great job. Um, you know, it was a good time. You know, we all sat and watched it. You know what I'm saying? And it was just kind of, you know, it was interesting sitting there looking at a movie in the room with the people that the movie is about. You know what I mean? And you know, but and at the time as they're watching it, a lot of the stuff that they were looking at from various ones perspective, they were kind of finding out right at that moment, wow. you know? So, yeah. So, uh, it was, it was, you know, like I said, it was, it was a, you know, it was a great, great movie, you know what I mean? Great time for the movie. You know, the, I think it was a great celebration overall, you know what I mean? BT did a great job, you know, and, and, you know, and they did a great job is, you know, and, and definitely the cast and everybody, you know, I mean, I think it was very, very well put together. Yeah, I thought you it was know, very it, good. It set a brand new bar for how, you know, our stories are supposed to be, you know, delivered. Mm, I agree. It broke the internet and me as a fan, I enjoyed it. I was like, you, they got everything right from the video soul interview to Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if it is in love video, they made sure that we're going to do this right yeah. because New Editions Legacy deserves it. Yeah, I mean, they put they put all the attention in detail, you know, you know, to it. So, you know, um, I, I mean, that's why I think it had the, you know, the, uh, the impact that it had, you know, on the fans or whatever, because, you know, the, the, the time and the attention it was taking, you know, to go into it, you know, um, you know, it was just well done, you know, all the way across the board. Mm, the only thing left for New Edition now, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That's the only thing, Rock yeah. and Roll Hall of yeah, Fame. Yeah, yeah, they got, yeah, yeah, they got it, yeah, yeah. That, I mean, I think that, I think, you know, that'll be coming for them down the pipeline, you know what I mean? I, but I think they definitely, you know, worthy of it, you know what I mean? Because they're truly the Jacksons of the hip-hop generation, you know what I mean? And then they did stuff beyond what the Jacksons did. You know, Michael did all that other stuff after the fact, but you know what I mean? But all of them individually or, or in a collective of away from, you know, the uh, the new addition they have you know, done phenomenally. Right, because no other group since the Beatles where you have a group break off, have solo success, come back, have more success, and then you can also trace the lineage of all of the male R&B and pop groups that came after New Edition from New Kids on the Block, Backstreet Boys, NSYNC, Boys to Men, BTS, CNCO, any male R&B pop group that came out in the past four decades have to have been influenced by Ronnie, Bobby, Ricky, Mike, Ralph, and Johnny. In some way, shape, form, or fashion. Yeah, some way, shape, form, fashion. Yeah, they, you know, it's, it's, it's you know, and, and, and I mean, aside from that, it wasn't just, you know, I mean, they had a major influence on, you know, in R&B, but as well as hip hop too. You know, I mean, you gotta remember, New Edition was in crust groove too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cause <laughs> you know I remember Mike, he did an interview with Breakfast Club doing press for the miniseries and was saying how, mm-hmm. because rap, Still couldn't get into the big venues. Because yeah, they couldn't the get the insurance to get into the venues, so they had to go out with the R&B group. So, you know, they would take out, you know, the the rappers. At one point, even Madonna opened up for New Edition. Yep. You know, at a certain point, you know what I mean. You know, in the early '80s, in that part of the, uh, their career, whatever her career, 
But um, but yeah, they definitely embraced, you know, the hip hop um, artists and, and and were very pivotal by being, you know, the outlet that they could get out on tour and get out to the rest of the, the world and the rest of the country, you know, to, to spread that culture. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, you know, then- and then they, and they, and then from, you know, I mean, you figured from the beginning, they incorporated, you know, rapping and singing from the very beginning from Candy Girl, you know what I mean? So. Mm-hmm. Yep. You, you made my point there, how they were the first to really integrate rap into R&B, like you mentioned, Candy Girl and Cool It Now. And they were mm-hmm. the first generation of kids to grow up with hip hop, to take it, put it on a big scale and to fast forward. If you look at TLC on the Ooh on the TLC tip album cover, the look inspired by BBD. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So, um, and then they went on to be the biggest female group of all time. Mm-hmm. And then also, you know, like we stated, Boys to Men and their connection with Biv, Star on the Walk of Fame, Vegas Residency, yeah. and how everything came off of the any tree. Yeah, all the extensions of that. Mm-hmm. All the extensions of it, you know. Right. So Cleveland, Rock and yeah. Roll Hall of Fame voters. New edition <laughs> on your ballot. I'm I'm stomping. I'm making the case. I'm standing on my soapbox. Ronnie, Bobby, Ricky, Mike, Ralph, and Johnny, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Book it. Yeah, yeah. So let's definitely talk about that one Yeah, definitely that. So let's talk about current projects that you that you got, and then also how have you been holding up because of COVID? Because I know it's dry as far as tours and shows and everything like that. You know what is is. It's one of those bittersweet kind of things, you know, where, uh, you know, of course, you, you definitely, you know, you feel for, you know, anyone that, you know, that's, that's suffered a loss or, you know, I mean, where anybody even just, you know, got sick, you know, you know, from COVID or whatever, or that's been impacted, you know, by all of the, the different, you know, casualties and things that have gone on. Um, but I can honestly say for myself, that you know it's kind of like you need you kind of needed to break in a sense um because and not you know a break from music per se but just a break to be able to get back in tune into you know music and you know certain things a lot of times when you know because i have been djing as well um you know for a number of years now and uh, i've been traveling with uh, kick pre uh opening for him for like, like the last four or five years, you know, so it's been, we've been on the road, like really, really heavy, you know, doing that. And, um, and I just know, you know, this time allowed me to kind of get back into focusing, you know, back on, you know, production and just kind of, you know, experimenting and getting into, you know, other ideas and other areas and, you know, just trying different things and stuff like that. Um, so, you know, that was the, the, the the one good thing, you know, the, the silver lining, I think, you know, for me, you know, during this pandemic time. Um, and then yeah, in uh, the other thing that kind of happened is that, um, you know, in me working on, you know, like a production for a project that I'm getting ready to uh, bring out later, uh, probably in the next uh, couple months. 
but I've been working on something more kind of like in the EDM direction. Mm-hmm. So um, I got a project that I'm going to be, you know, bringing out with that. And, uh, you know, and then I still am doing, you know, hip hop production, R&B production and, and then DJing, you know, still. But I wanted to get back during this period and just get back more in, you know, more in tune into, you know, doing production again and, you know, back into, you know, just being, you know, even, um, you know, getting, uh, you know, becoming a better musician, you know what I mean? Studying, you know, kind of working on, you know, certain stuff that you may have not, you know, done, you know, for years and years because you've been so busy doing all these other things, you know? So it's kind of, it's like a back to basics kind of time period, you know, for me and I, and that's what I used it for, you know, to, to kind of, you know, get back in tune with all of those kinds of things. So, you know, so now, um, like I said, in the next, you know, one is, you know, you know, next, you know, coming weeks or whatever, I'll be, you know, putting some things out there, you know, for people to check out, you know, and, you know, like I said, it's, it's, uh, it's a new age now, you know, in, in the music industry and, and, you know, how just things work for producers and, you know, how things work for artists. And, you know, it's not as, um, it's a lot more freedom to it now. You know what I mean? It's not as many uh, rules and it's not as stagnant, you know, look, you know, you have to do this or you have to fit in this lane or you have to do, you know, uh, you have to release this or you have to, you know, only put one song out or you only have, to, you know what I mean? It's, 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 not, it's, it's so much, um, uh, you know, uh, free reign, I guess, you know, uh, for this time period. So I think that there are a lot of things that, that I kind of wanted to do and experiment with. And I'm going to take this time, you know, while, you know, all of the things are lined up, the technology is here, the, you know, everything is all kind of, you know, there for you to be able to do it and, um, you know, put some stuff out there, you know, see what happens, you know what I mean? And, um, you know, and just, just keep the music alive that way. Right. And you mentioned Kid Capri. Can we talk about mm-hmm. the legendary Kid Capri? And if you know about that 1989 mixtape where he opened up with Stephanie Mills, something the way you make me feel mixed in with yeah. Impeach the President. Did you by, see yeah. Did you see when they actually did it live on stage? Yeah, and the crowd went nuts. Yeah, I'm the cameraman. <laughs> That's what we do. That's what we do. I did not know you were the cameraman for that epic movie. Well, I mean, I'm, 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 more, I'm on the stage while it, it, it just happened. It wasn't something that was planned. We were just in, um, I want to say Indianapolis. Or we were, I think we were in Indiana because uh, uh, I believe our manager is, is Aunt Paris, and that's his town. And uh, we, were, we were doing something, I think, uh, in Indiana. Was it for the Black and, Expo? Um, it may have been for the Black Expo, yeah. And, you know, we were doing our regular show. And and next thing I know, we look on the side and it's like, it's Stephanie Mills right there. <laughs> you know, it's like, yo, get her a mic, get her a mic. You know, and then it's like, yo, kid, Stephanie Mills. You know, and then he like, all right. He goes to, you know, queuing up and peace the president. You know what I'm saying? And then he's like, you know, he tells her, hey, you know, I got, you know, what really blew me up in my career is, you know, I did this remix, this is that another. And I'm like, all right, you know, I just started catching it and it just happened. She she started singing, he started doing his thing and you seen what happened. 
like I said, the crowd went. It, it was a magical moment looking back at it. You know what I'm saying? It was one of those magical moments, you know, looking back at it. But yeah, yeah, it just right. kind of it just happened like that. Yeah, because you know, down south, those New York mixtapes went at a premium. You could sell it for like four or oh, five yeah. times the price. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. They they were huge. You know what I mean? That that whole, uh, you know, the the mixtape thing just it turned into a whole nother industry within itself. You know, so. Mm, but it's yeah, crazy to see. very very important. Very important. Yeah, it's crazy to see now how labels look at mixtapes and say, hey, "This is a way to promote." your artist or a song because back in the 90s and stuff if a song got leaked onto a mixtape they were tight about that because everything was still going through the traditional route of labels mm-hmm. yeah yeah but that just kind of goes to show you that sometimes you know out of you know um what everybody think is is wrong can actually be you know what is the you know, what's going to be the new wave of how things are done, you know? Just look at D-Jam, right? You could never touch nobody's record prior to hip-hop. You know what I'm saying? Like, when you, if you think about it, like, you know, when somebody had an album or somebody had whatever, they would hold the record you know, this way was, you know, was a piece of art, you know what I mean? So it wasn't just, you know, touching your fingertips, you know, you, you wasn't, you know, trying to scratch it up and, you know, do the, it was something that was, you know, that you kind of held, you know, like fine china, you know, per se. So you took, it was, it was held, it was very delicate that you would just treat it. And then here comes hip hop and it's like, oh, well, let me get that, you know, and then now look, what became of that. But initially that was looked at as like, you know, almost sacrilegious to do. Mm-hmm. And you know? yeah, and before we close, can we talk about Teddy mm-hmm. Riley and his impact and how he was able to merge R&B and hip hop, fuse it together and we get New Jack Swing? Yeah, at that time period, you know, Teddy was the king. You know what I'm saying? Like as far as all of the, the younger producers that was coming up, you know, I know myself and, you know, I mean, I know when me and Devante met each other, we spent one of the, the first conversations we had was talking about Teddy Riley. You know what I mean? And so, um, uh, you know, I mean, his impact was, you know, it was just, uh, it was major. You know what I mean? I think he, he ushered in, you know, the young producer. You know, so everybody who is a young producer that's, you know, coming, you know, out of the, you know, the hood or the street or the this or that or whatever, you know, he was the initial, you know, prototype for the music industry to even trust a teenager to be, you know, a producer like that. Because they didn't even trust Prince when he came in. For his first album, he had to, you know, have someone else in his second album. They let him, you know, kind of like do his thing. But, you know, Teddy came in and and he was hitting on all cylinders. He was killing them, you know, with the rap records. He was killing them with the remixes. He was killing them with the R&B and with fast and slow. You know what I mean? So, you know, for any producer coming up at that time period, it was like you had to you had to study him 
You know what I'm saying? Because even though there were other great producers that were doing stuff, like I said, he was hitting in all areas. You know what I'm saying? Whereas, the, you know, another producer or producer team or this, this, that, and other, they may have had bigger records in this particular genre, but like I said, his was crossing, you know, the lines. And then on top of it, as a producer, you know, it was just, you know, at, at a like he was like the 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 you know like the like the 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 bar or the litmus, you know, uh, as far as even you know is what equipment to get, you know, what is he using? That's what everybody want to use, you know what I'm saying? Because you know, he had, you know, the, the sound, his drums were, you know, out of this world, you know what I mean? And, and, and the sounds and his mixes and, you know, I mean, I hired a few of his engineers, you know what I mean? And for a lot of the stuff that we did with Big Ten, you know what I'm saying? We were, you know, if, if I found out that so-and-so had mixed this, 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 that number for him, oh yeah, let me get him, I want him, you know what I mean? And, you know, I mean, I, I work with Dave Way, he mixed a whole lot of Teddy Riley music, Jean Marie Horvat. You know what I mean? Um, I hired John right after the Bobby album. You know what I mean? After after him and Teddy had done the Bobby album, and I think this is even before Rump Shake and all that stuff had come out, so he had done that already. But when you know he um, had left, you know, uh, Future, I ended up saying, "Hey, you know." Um, you know, let me get a hold of this guy. You know what I mean? He's that's him. He's on the um he he mixed, you know, uh, quite a few songs on the um the Hootie Mac album. You know, we brought him in for that. But yeah, so you know, just to just kind of bring it back, you know, full circle. Yeah, uh, you know, I mean Teddy definitely was, you know, he was the guy that, you know, so many of us, you know, uh you know, kind of looked at and 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 wanted to kind of pattern our careers behind and and definitely, you know, because I mean he was he was he was he was making killer music, you know what I mean? And um and then just a point, you know, just kind of like on a uh on a um a personal note, you know, I remember meeting him like uh when I was first getting started, you know, in the music business. And it was a, actually, it was kind of like, it was a fan of the East, it was a person who was like the fan of the East Coast family and they were also guy fans. And this young lady was like, you know, she told me like, yeah, I know him, you know, and it was kind of like, oh, okay, sure, you know, <laughs> okay. And she's like, well, yeah, you know, when they come to town, I'll, you know, you know, set it up if you want to meet them, you know, I was like, all right, cool, you know, I haven't thought no more about it. And one night she called like, this was like in the middle of the night. And she's like, yeah, I'm here. I'm, I'm uh, there in town and, you know, down here. He wants to talk to you. I'm like, what? So she gives, you know, gives me the phone and it's Teddy on the phone. You know, he's like, hey, you know, what you doing? I'm like, nothing. He's like, well, come on down. I went down to the hotel where they were at. And, um, you know, he came downstairs and it was one of those situations, like I said, we talked for hours and hours. We talked until we fell asleep, kind of like nodding out on each other, just, you know, just talking. And it was nighttime when we started and the sun was out, you know what I mean? And it was just all about production. And like I said, music and keyboards. And I'm just, 
trying to pick his brain for, you know, every piece of work that he'd ever done. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, just, but he was extremely gracious, you know, in all of the uh, information, you know, that, that he gave, you know, and all of the stuff that, 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 he, that he, you know, he was talking about. Even the fact of him just telling me to come down there at that time, like I said, the dude was the king at the time, you know what I'm saying? And I was just, you know, barely getting started. And he's like, hey, man, I can. And he came, kicked it with me, you know, and I came in and kicked it with him for hours. And we talked extensively, you know, about music, music production and, you know, just different stuff, things, you know. So, yeah, you know, big shout out to Teddy Riley, man. You know, he definitely, you know, always had and will be, you know, one of the kings out there. You yep. know what I mean? Definitely. A legend. Definitely the king of the yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. A, a legend. And without Teddy, we'll have no Neptunes. Then we mentioned Devontae earlier. If it wasn't for Devontae, we'll have no Timbaland, no Missy, no Tweet, yeah. no Player, and also yeah. no DC native Genuine. Yeah. Yeah. How about that? <laughs> exactly. He's another one that comes from you know the global world. You know what I mean? Mm. So yeah. And then I, let me mention this too while we're talking is that um, I'm, I have a uh, more XM doing a radio show now. It's a GoGo radio show. So this is the first time that GoGo has been featured on XM. So now, you know, the local music can finally get out to the world. You know what I mean? So every Saturday and Sunday from 9 to 10 o'clock, we're on Sirius XM Channel 141, HUR Voices, myself and my partner, Shorty Corleone. He rocks with me, you know, and we, we bring the show. And it's basically, we got a one-hour window to the world to expose everything from, you know, go-go uh, culture. And, you know, we, we're giving a lot of the artists just from this area a shot, but we also want to extend the olive branch to, you know, all the other producers and, and artists and DJs and everybody that's out there. If you like that go-go flavor, if you think you can make it, if you think you can add your twist to it, put your spin on it or whatever, we accept it to all of that as well. All right. You know I mean? So, yeah, yeah. So definitely. And then also... Also, one, one more thing I'll plug in, i just going to say this. Uh, Kid Capri and I, we did, we did a go-go pack. Uh, if you go to uh, Native Instruments, that was sounds.com, uh, is the, uh, the go-go pack where, where uh, you know, because I've been using, you know, equipment and sound packs and all that stuff for years, but never did I ever hear, they never had no go-go loops. They never had nothing from, you know, that particular culture, even though, a lot of producers, you know, mainly, you know, Herbie and, you know, Teddy and, you know, various ones, you know, have used, you know, kind of go-go loops or sounds and things like that in the music. And, um, you know, I just said, you know, people need to be able to have access to that. And then uh, to me, I think it's a win-win. I think it gives, you know, producers a different area, you know, for them to express themselves. And then it gives the music a chance to, you know, be able to grow. And, you know, it needs to get somebody to put, another spin on it, you know what I'm saying? Just to see what happens to it. Imagine if hip hop never went West and Dre never got the test. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, but yeah, that's something that, you know, people can, uh, you know, go check out if they're, you know, if they're interested, you know, if you're a producer or whatever, and you want to get some sounds, you know, that can give you, you know, that, 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 cause this is actual guys that's really from, you know, the real bands and whatever that's playing and we sample them, you know what I mean? So we get the real authentic, sounds you know um from the real culture that comes from Google. so those are just a couple of things you know that's going on there right. uh, that i'm involved in so yeah 
All right, we're definitely looking forward to that. It's the real deal. It's like you're going to the authentic carryout spot where you got to look both ways and make sure you're in the right spot. Absolutely. Ain't, ain't, no, ain't no way to it because you know with everything that's going on with gentrification, they're trying to put half smokes in more upscale areas, but nope, you got to go down to U Street, Ben's Chili Bowl, get you a half smoke with chili. I recommend it your life will be different when you have that and some mumbo sauce. Yeah, yeah, they world famous with that. You know what I mean? They world famous with that. But, you know, it's, it's a lot of, you know, the city has changed, you know what I mean, a lot. It's saying some for the good, you know, and then some for the bad, you know what I mean? But uh, I definitely, you know, recommend anybody to, you know, come through here and, and check it out. We got a lot of stuff that's going on, you know what I mean? A lot of, you know, a lot of entertainment for you, you know, like it's a small town, but it's a lot of stuff to do here. Right. Small city, but it's a lot of stuff to get involved in. Yep. So, yup, if ever you're in the DMV area for food, attractions, all that good stuff. So, any shout outs you want to give before we wrap and also plug your social media? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You can hit me up. Um, you can hit me up on, let's see, uh, Facebook. I'm at uh, Rico Anderson on Facebook. Uh, on IG, I'm at Real Rico Anderson. And on Twitter, I'm at DJ Rico Anderson. And anything regarding the GoGo show is uh, Crank Radio. Whether it's Facebook, IG, or Twitter, just you know, put in Crank Radio and you'll see anything regarding the show uh, with that. But yeah, right. you can reach me that way too as well. Yeah. Okay. And Rico Anderson Music. RicoAndersonMusic.com. All right, check them out on all those platforms. You can catch this interview on audio or video wherever you stream your podcast, Apple, Anchor, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Verbal, wherever you stream, and on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash beyond the album cover. Join the Facebook group, facebook.com slash beyond the album cover to stay updated with all things related to the podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, let's give it up for master of everything, producer, writer, arranger, DJ, all around good dude, Mr. Rico Anderson. Thank you very much for coming on to Beyond the Album Cover. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate you. Thank you. No problem.